read together to remind us of where we are going, that is towards Jesus, allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. By faith we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. Glad you are here in a chair or on your couch watching along with us. It's a joy to have you. My name is Matthew. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's an honor to stand and open up God's Word. Uh, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is the very first chapter in your Bible, and I know it's going to probably take you a little bit to get there, so uh, give you some time to find it. Uh, for those of you that have your phone with you, you can pull your phone out and hop on the uh, complimentary free guest Wi-Fi, and you can go to faithchurchks.org. Um, right there, there's a card that says Sermon Notes. Every week, we load up our sermon notes uh, for you to follow along. There's a spot there even for you to jot down your own notes, and uh, towards the bottom, you can hit Send to Yourself, and you can send yourself an email that has both my notes and the notes that you typed in, and those are just for you, and so it's a great little resource available. I uh, just wanted to kind of give all of you a, a last-minute uh, heart populations for just a minute. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day, man. Just trying to help you out. We, we, uh, we, we believe in love and romance, so we keep it really cold, so you have to snuggle in church. I'm just... Trying to help some of you have some game again. You're welcome. Hey, uh, last week we started this collection. I saw like seven arms go up. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> praise the Lord. Nine months, the nursery's growing. Um, hey, so last week we started a brand new collection of sermons uh, entitled Stories of Faith. And we're walking through Hebrews 11 looking at and selecting some of these stories of old that allow us to grow in our faith, that strengthen our faith, our loyalty, our allegiance to who Jesus is. And we're kind of looking at these stories and discovering some truths and principles that help us along the way. And today we want to look at the very first in the whole of God's Word, the Genesis account of creation in Genesis 1. We read it just a minute ago in Hebrews 11.3. It said that we believe that by faith God spoke and the worlds were all formed. And uh, so let's go to Genesis 1 and take a look at this together. We are going to read all of Genesis 1. I'll read out loud. You can follow along in your scripture or in the digital version here in the room or on the central hub. This is God's word in Genesis 1. It says this, In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering, hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. 
Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters from the heavens and the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth and from the waters of the heavens. And God called the space sky. Evening passed and morning came, marking the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together in one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. And God called the dry ground land and the waters seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, these seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. The land produced vegetation and all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let the lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on the earth, and that is what happened. God made two great lights, the larger one to govern the day and the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set the lights in the sky and the light the earth and to govern the day and night to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water. And every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. Let the fish fill the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening passed and morning came, marking the fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that this was good. And God said, let us, let, let us, let, let us, Father, Son, Spirit, let us make man. In our own image. They will reign over the fish and the seas and the birds and the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish and the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth, all the fruit trees for your food. I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all that he made, and he saw that it was very. Evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, let's pray for one more time. Lord, this is your word. 
It is eternal. And Lord, it would speak to us today. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart and spirit ready to receive what it is that you want to show us today in your word. Draw us closer to your heart, Father. Jesus, let us see you and who you are. And Holy Spirit, would you illuminate these things to our hearts, being active and at work in us today, we pray in your name. And everybody said, amen, amen. This is the, the beginning of the creation account, the Genesis. This, the book of Genesis, uh, not only is it the first in your Bible, but it is the first one that we have written and recorded by Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, what is referred to as the Torah or the Pentateuch. It's, it's the first five books, Genesis through Deuteronomy. It is the Bible is one story, unified pointing us to God. It's written in a lot of different ways with a lot of different genres and literature. We, we talked a, a little bit more in detail about the makeup of the Bible, the reliability of Scripture last year at the end of the year, and a collection that we called The Practice of Scripture. As we unpacked why we trust the Bible, how it was composed and compiled, and what is it that, that we look for, and how do we read certain types of genre. And it's important, you can go back and listen to it on the Central Hub any moment in time that, that you would like, but this is the first book written uh, that we have kind of in sequence, all of these that Moses wrote, and this is kind of an introductory poem of sorts, giving us understanding and insight to the very beginning of the story that points us back to God. This is the beginning of it all. The, the Bible says that Moses met with God face to face. Which is an interesting thing because Moses wasn't there at the beginning. Like he wasn't there eyewitnessing, watching what happens as the skies and the stars and the things. He, he wasn't there personally, but the Holy Spirit was. He was already present, hovering over the things. God was, because he started and created it all. The Son was, because we know through Scripture that in the beginning, John 1 says, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in the beginning was the Word... And nothing was made through him except everything that was made was made through him who is the word. And Hebrews tells us that this is the word Jesus Christ and God spoke the word and the word animated and created and sustained the life that we now see and create and enjoy and experience. And I believe God still looks over the creation and he looks down and I still think that God has some delight saying, oh, it's still good. It's still good that people have discovered me, found me, and are being pointed in the direction of me. There is still some good there. And, and what's important to note is that Jesus himself affirms the creation account that Moses wrote. Paul and many other New Testament writers spent time, and, and you read their writings, and you just know they also agreed and believed in these things that we just read at the beginning of time. And it is important that we understand and we start with creation and that we allow creation to be a part of our faith and bring strength to our faith as people of God because if creation didn't occur through the power of God, then we don't really have much to stand on when it comes to the recreation and the new creation that occurs at the end of time. It's all linked together, booked end by God's ability to create and recreate and restore and renew and being the author of life again and again. I think it's worth pointing out that Moses 
who was writing this lived in a time and a day where Moses was the one who led the children of Israel out of Egypt and slavery. And uh, in Egypt, there were many mythological thoughts. And in that day and time as to how the world came about, and to this day, many other religions and philosophies and ideologies try to create and culminate and create answers to the where in the world did the world come from kind of equation. And I think it's interesting that, that Moses would be writing, perhaps with some sarcasm, perhaps with some intentionality, perhaps with a little bit of na 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 uh, because many of the mythologies at that time, especially from Egypt, it was like the sun was the god. The stars are the God. And then they had a God in the land and a God in the sky and these things. And there were many other gods. And Moses writes at the very beginning, yeah, 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 that's cute. Your God made that. My God made that thing that you call a God. Man, man, my God's bigger than your God. I don't know if he was being that trivial, but I kind of like to think that maybe he had a little spunk in him and he wrote with some of these things. Yahweh was the creator of all of these things. I, I want to unpack this and help us grow in our faith, strengthen our faith from this story of creation. But I want to first articulate something that is so incredibly important, I think, in our day, in our age, in our time. Here's, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. I want you to think on it well with me today. We can believe in science and in God simultaneously. It's not I have faith and they have science. It's that God created and science reveals what God created. It doesn't mean that science has everything 100% right. They're still trying to figure some things out. And that's okay. But I don't think we have to flip our brains off nor do I think we need to perpetuate and just simplify and reduce and just oversimplify certain things as it relates to the truth of God's word because we may not understand. Can I, can I be real honest? I am not a scientist. I don't particularly care for, for the scientific studies. That's not my field or desire. I enjoy like the mental side, the sociology side, the psychology side of the sciences, but when it comes to like earth sciences, nah. Planted, it, it grows. Awesome. I eat it. I enjoy it. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Right? Like, I just, it just doesn't get me going. Some people, it does. And just because it's not a, a discipline of a study for me doesn't mean that I need to diminish or dismiss the fact that it is still a part that echoes and screams of the majesty and the beauty of God. And it's not an either-or faith or science. I believe that they can collate together, that they can go together. Science and faith are not at odds, despite what many people have tried to say. In the book, The Problem of God, author Mark Clark, his introductory chapter in his whole book, where he's addressing certain problems people have with God and Christianity, his very first chapter is The Problem of Science, where he unpacks and walks through the arguments that many unbelieving people make as it relates to their skepticism to God and faith in Jesus. And he unpacks this idea of problem of science at the very, very beginning. And he says some, uh, a variety of things, but one thing that he kind of clearly articulates and attacks as it relates to um, this one argument that can happen. I want to read you an excerpt from this to kind of help us understand how science and faith aren't at odds, but rather 
strengthen each other. It says this, another modern example of this historical revisionism by skeptics is the story of the medieval church believing that the Bible taught that the earth was flat and then reenacting in outrage and then reacting in outrage rather when science comes along and proves that the Bible was wrong. This is simply not true. From the time of the ancient Greeks, people knew the earth was round. They observed that the hull of a ship sailing from shore disappears before the top of the mast and would see the reflection of the earth on the moon during an eclipse. They knew that the earth was round. The so-called flat earth conflict is simply part of a 19th century propaganda. And so, as Oxford professor Alistair McGrath concludes rightly, the idea that science and religion are in perpetual conflict is no longer taken seriously by any major historian of science. One of the last remaining bastions of atheism, which survives only at the popular level, namely the myth that an atheistic fact-based science is permanently at war with a faith-based religion. It's the only real argument that people are making anymore, and it's really more of a philosophical one, not a scientific one. He goes on to say that it's not just that Christianity is not at war with science, but historians now acknowledge that the thing we presently call modern science was actually conceived and born and flourished in the matrix of, Christian, of Christian theism itself. Christian theology was the garden out of which modern science grew because it presented a world with distinct form, complexity, and design. Christianity challenges us to experiment with what we see, believing there is order and uniformity in the universe. No other worldview, philosophy, or religion of the ancient world offered this unique perspective that Christianity does. There's a course I took on Genesis in which the professor, or the instructor, the teacher, uh, David Campbell, um, succinctly quotes and paraphrases some excerpts from Professor John Lennox in his book uh, entitled Seven Days That Divide the World, a really fascinating book. I've read several excerpts and seen some talks this week from Professor Lennox. I really like him because he's got a really cool Irish accent. Makes him easy to li listen to. But he's a brilliant scholar, scientist, and uh, apologist of Christianity. Professor Lennox unpacks the story of how modern science has come to validate the Genesis account. He makes the observation that both current science and Genesis agree that history had a beginning. The difference is Genesis stated this several thousand or more years ago, whereas until recently, science had worked on the basis of Aristotle's theory that the universe was eternal. He quotes physicist Sir John Houghton by saying, for human beings to exist, it can be argued that the whole universe is needed. It needs to be old enough and therefore large enough for one generation of stars to have evolved and died to produce the heavy, the heavy elements and then for there to be enough time for a second generation star like our sun to form with the system of planets. Finally, there have to be the right conditions on earth for life to even develop, survive, and flourish. But that is not all. Our current understanding is that for the universe to develop the right way, incredibly fine-tuning has been required in its basic structure and the conditions of the time of the Big Bang. The Big Bang, of course, is simply science term for what Genesis describes as God's act of creation. 
The fact that Genesis arrives at the truth long before science might point to its accuracy, in fact. Lennox also quoted Professor Arno Penzias, who was the noble, who has won the Nobel Prize for Science, as saying this: the best data we have are exactly what I would have predicted had I had nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. Finally, Lennox cites Andrew Parker, a leading British scientist and evolutionary biologist director of the famous Natural History Museum in London, who does not himself profess to believe in God, but upon engaging in research on the subject, found a whole series of parallels between the creation account and the modern scientific account of the history of life. Parker writes this. Here then is the Genesis enigma. The opening page of Genesis is scientifically accurate, but was written long before the science was known. How did the writer of this page come to write this creation account? I must admit, rather nervously, as a scientist adverse to entertaining such an idea, that the evidence that the writer of the opening page of the Bible was divinely inspired is a strong one. I have never before encountered such powerful, impartial evidence that the Bible is the product of divine inspiration. Friends, science and faith aren't at odds. And I believe that the creation story can strengthen our faith the more we look at it. Not just theologically, but even scientifically. It strengthens our faith. I believe that uh, this story in Genesis, this beautiful poetic language and the writing and the understanding of it is such a strong strong thing in fact there, there, there are three things that I have found this creation story to do for my faith personally so some ways in which I've discovered this the truths as I've studied it and this week I've, I've done a deeper dive into the creation story than any others multiple times my wife is like hey how are you doing my brain hurts that's how I'm doing this week Clayton came into my office and says hey how you doing I don't know I think I'm about to combust in my brain some things that I've studied and learned and even uh, gone into that have, have kind of just strengthened my faith more and more. I want to share some things this morning in our time remaining, ways that this account has strengthened my faith. Number one, it's this. I believe that the story of creation reveals that God is the designer. Like any beautiful woven piece of clothing, object created, the creator stitches their brand and their name in it. Any artist, they sign the painting. I believe God is the creator of our world, and he has signed the painting himself. I, I believe that the Nicene Creed, which we claim and proclaim, the very beginning opening line of the Nicene Creed says, we believe in one Lord, the God, Father, Almighty maker of heaven and earth. Friends, there was nothing in the beginning but God. God was there, but nothing else was there. God was there, but nothing else was there. All of 
All that we know, both scientifically and even theologically, I believe Genesis 1, 1 and 2 kind of set a primer and a background before Genesis 1, 3 kicks off. And I, I don't have time to unpack the, the Hebrew grammar used and the different verb tenses in this. I don't understand it near enough, but as I've wrestled with it and grappled with it and discovered it, Genesis 1, 1 and 2 gives us a precursor, introductory statements, if you will, a preamble to the beginning of verse 3 that begins to unfold some things. And in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, we see that there is an explanation of some things. That God existed, but the cosmos did not until God spoke, and then the cosmos did exist. Time, matter, and space all had a beginning, and it began with God. Isaiah 45 and verse 18 says this, For the Lord is God. And he created the heavens and earth and put everything in place. He made the world to be lived in, not to be a place of empty chaos. I am the Lord, he says, and there ain't no other. Just got to get a little rhythm going on. There is no other. I am the creator of it all. Genesis 1 says that in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and the darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit was hovering over the waters. Friends, from the beginning of time, space, and matter, the sovereign rule of God was present. And he hovered over it all. There was no moment when everything was dark and formless and lacked some purpose. The spirit was present. And knowing that God is the designer of all of those things knows that when my life, oh, I'm a, when my life hits the darkest moments, when the doubts surround me, when chaos ensues in my world, there is still a spirit willing to hover and be present with me. Deep breaths. Let's get back to the text. He says it was formless and void. It was formless and it lacked function. Genesis 1, 1 and 2, God began to create the substance from which everything else would then be later formed and given function. Th think of it in terms of pottery. All of the substance and material necessary for a master potter to take and mold clay is present. They gather those substances and then begin to form and shape their creation. It is not until it is fully done, once it has form, then the master potter and, and, and maker can then take it and give it a function. It's now a bowl. It's now a, a jar. It's a pitcher. It's got function. Genesis 1, 1, and 2, you see the substance of all of humanity the physics, the atomic structure of things spoken into existence, and then the creation account begins in day one, day two, day three, day four. The substance of there, but there was no form. It was formless and empty, uninhabited. Genesis 1, or excuse me, day one, day two, and day three, God was creating the form. Day four, five, and six, God created function out of what he already formed based on the substance that he spoke into existence. 
I've lost some of you, but hang tight just for a minute. Day one and day four correlate. Day two and day five form function. Day three and day six form function. It was formless and void. And so now let's begin the creation account. Day one, some function. Day two, a different set uh, or form. Day, day three, form. Day four, let's create some function within this, which we have created. Day five, some more function the, the way it will operate and inhabit now and filling the earth with the things that now abide in our land. God is the designer of all of these things. I believe the story of creation reveals God as the designer, which strengthens my faith immensely. I have here in front of me a ever so delicious chocolate cake, well drizzled with more chocolate. Within it, extra chocolate chips because you never can get enough chocolate into one thing. Come on, I just, it's just delicious. You know, if I were to allow you to taste the cake, you would taste certain flavors, wouldn't you? If I were to take this cake and, 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 and let you smell it, there would be certain aromas that would indicate what it was made with. There, there would be, if, if we brought in uh, an, a leading expert, maybe somebody from the Great British Baking Show, and they came in and tasted it, and their refined expert palate could taste the, the oh, it's got enough vanilla, or it's got enough sugar, or it's got different kinds of sugar. They would taste this which was created. They, they would be able to taste and see that, it's, oh, it is good, it's delicious, it might be dry, it might be moist. It, they might even be able to say, oh, you didn't make this, you bought this at Walmart. And they would be right. <laughs> but you know what they couldn't do with this cake? All of their knowledge, all of their experts, they could observe it. They could study it. They could dissect it. They could, they could look at it for a long period of time. But you know what they can't do? They might be able to tell you how it was made, but they can't tell you who made it and why. You have to have a maker and a designer to tell you who made it and why. And the more you begin to discover and, and dissect and understand about creation, you will discover that the designer is God. And the more you get to know God as the designer, you will discover why he ever created it in the first place. I believe that creation's story reveals that God is the designer and it gives me great faith. It strengthens my faith. Number two, the way it strengthens my faith. The story of creation fills me with wonder and awe, and it fuels my delight in the Lord. One of the byproducts and intentions of God in creating the world was that it would bring delight, awe, joy, marvel, wonder, worship. It fills me with awe and wonder when I look at the creation of God. How many times did you hear in the passage, oh, God created this and created the form and the function of this, and it is good. Oh, it's good. You don't delight in bad. You delight in what is good. You wouldn't delight in this cake if it tasted bad and I made it, because it would taste bad if I made it. But we can delight and taste and see that the Lord is 
good, and that's what brings us delight. He created the necessary things in the earth to produce some of the most delicious delicacies of our life. He didn't have to, but he did. It was fruit that would grow on a vine that could be transformed into many other delicacies and things that we would delight in and sip and enjoy. He created it and it was good. He created the world in which you can explore and go on a hike and take in and it is good. It's meant to point you and delight in God, not delight in the thing though. So many people stop short in their worship, wonder and admiration beautifying and glorifying and worshiping the thing instead of the person who created the thing. And I believe that our faith grows and is strengthened when we allow the creation itself to fill us with wonder and awe, and, and, and which then fuels our delight in the Lord, for he is good. Sunsets didn't have to be beautiful, but they are they are steak didn't have to taste so good but it does it is good right it didn't have to be like that but it is it is good and if you will notice that creation itself there is a rhythm and a cadence that i believe god was trying to communicate to us that there is work and diligence and then there is a rest and that rest brings enjoyment and delight back into our life each day of creation crescendos with it was evening and then it was morning and it was that day many people want to argue and I think it's a valid conversation to be had. Was creation 24 hour literal days in succinct? Was, was there some space and some gaps in between the days? Was it indefinite amount of time from day one to day two? What, what was it and is it? One thing that I will say with, I believe, personal conviction and certainty that there is a space of an indefinite amount of time between Genesis 1 and 2 and then Genesis Three, simply because of the language of Scripture indicates that there is a space and a time and some would say a gap that God had created and allowed some things to create the substance of which then would create some form in. But, but was day one, was it 24 literal hours? John Lennox says it like this, the length of day is really irrelevant. What is important is the pattern of life God establishes. The readers and the people of the covenant are encouraged to follow God through his week, alternating, following the work he assigned them and resting, culminating in the rest of the Sabbath, which we know is day seven. Is it literal 24 hours? Well, places in scripture say one day with the Lord is like a thousand anywhere else and a thousand anywhere else is like one day with the Lord. There's a little bit different of a rhythm. I feel like what's most important in the creation narrative day one through day six is to understand that God is actually trying to give us a rhythm in which we live our life that allows us to experience his delight. That's the most important part. See, because my delight today in what God has created helps me point to the delight and the enjoyment of what is to come in the new creation. Revelation chapter 21 and 22, if you want to flip to the back of the book this week to read about it. It's the delight and the all today. My worship today fuels me into my delight for tomorrow and what is to come. It strengthens my faith in who God is, my loyalty to him, 
And then finally, here's this last one, this story of creation. Story of creation reveals God's desire to abide with you. I believe the creation story reveals that God's the designer, 100%. I believe that the creation story fills me with awe and wonder that propels and fuels me into a delight with God. But don't miss this last one. It is the story of creation, I believe, that reveals God's desire. His greatest desire is to abide with you and me. To be with us, Father, Son, Spirit, abiding in you and me forever. Together. Forever. Eternal life. Abundant life the new creation in the world to come. It is a union to where God's spirit now takes residence in you and me when we give him our life. Friends, you see this really unpack when you start to get into Genesis chapter two, which we don't have time to read or unpack or get into today, but Genesis chapter two is kind of like a double-click zoom into day six of creation. And when you read it, you begin to understand that, that, that Genesis 1 is kind of the introductory uh, in, intro to who God is as creator and how he created things. Genesis 2 is a double-click zoom in, deeper dive study into how day 6 occurred and what occurred in that day. It's not like a, a reverse of some things, and, and it can get confusing when we don't understand those things. But I just want to encourage you and understand that Genesis chapter 2, God is, you begin to see the heart of God unfold to have desire with and be with you. In Genesis chapter 2, uh, Moses switches his words. Instead of just using Elohim, which is a general um, word in Hebrew for a deity, in Genesis chapter 2, he switches, and instead of just using Elohim, he uses Yahweh Elohim, which is the name of the covenant-making and keeping God, the personal God. He's starting to drop hints that this God who created everything, this deity who is divine and powerful and almighty, he also is intimate and wants to be with you and create covenant with you and abide with you. Think about it. God spoke the world into existence. What is it that, that creates friendship? What is it that creates partnership? What is it that creates intimacy, even within a marriage relationship, it's healthy communication. God could have nodded, could have waved, could have thought about it. He could have gone junior high and made armpit fart sounds to create the world if he wanted to. But he spoke. He, spoke. he doesn't say it shouted, nor does it say he whispered. I don't think the volume was a problem for God. It was the intent to speak. Genesis chapter 2, you see the creation of man. Man was formed out of the dust of the ground. Your physical body, humanity, was formed from the dust of the ground, but it didn't become a living being until God breathed. When you speak, there is breath that leaves. God spoke. It's the ruach of God. It's the breath of God. And then man became a living, animate, animated being. 
the same spirit that hovered over the waters creating the, the animation that created the cosmos system and the time, matter, and space is the same breath and spirit that God breathed into humanity and they became a living being. What you need and you can understand from the Genesis account is that which you were formed from, you will then be sustained by and will one day return back to. Don't, don't miss this. Follow me, follow me, follow me. Your body was made from the dust of the ground. It is sustained and fueled by that which comes from the ground, the food that you eat, the thing. Are, are you tracking? And one day when you take your last breath, your body will return back to the dust. From dust you became to dust you will return. You are sustained, though, by the ground in which we walk on. But your spirit is different. Your spirit, that which is inside of you, it began from the breath of God, which means that it is the very breath of God, the word of God, the presence of God, the presence of a spirit that is meant to sustain you. And one day you will return to the very presence of God where his word is heard clearly in you for all eternity. So Lord, it's your breath in my lungs. I'll pour out my praise. I'll pour out my praise. It's your breath in my lungs. And so the very breath of God that lives in us and animates us, we use and we turn words back to praise to God because it is in the presence of God that we are sustained. It's through the very word of God in Scripture that gives life to us who you were really created to be. You'll read in Genesis 3 that God showed up in the cool of the day to walk and talk with Adam and Eve, but they were hiding. Because they sinned. And we often throw back to what our ancestors did. God comes looking to walk and talk with us and we often go hiding because we feel shame for our sin too. But friends, I have good news. We don't have to hide. Hebrews 4 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than a, the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes the innermost thoughts and our own desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. He is the one to whom you and I are accountable. So then, since we have a great high priest whose name is Jesus, who has now entered into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our own weakness. For he faced all the same testings that we do, but he didn't sin. So let us come boldly then to the throne. Not hide, not wonder, not be ashamed, not, not try to cover it up, not try to pretty it up when we're talking to our friends about our lives and our mistakes and the things. Not try to, try, try to overcome it in our own strength. I'll promise I'll never, never, ever do it again, Lord. I promise never. Okay, this is the last time I'll ever do it again. I won't ever do that again, Lord. Let us now come boldly to the throne of grace to get mercy right there and find his grace and help when we need it the most. Not when we're most deserving of it, 
but when we're in the most desperate need of it, let's find his grace there. And friends, that's why we come to the table every week boldly, confidently, because we have a high priest. Would you stand with me in the room? If you're at home, I, I hope you've got some bread or juice or something that could represent the elements, and you can just go grab it and partake. I, I believe it's less important as to what you use and more important that you posture your heart correctly when you take them. The Bible says as often as you would partake, we do it in remembrance of him. For us, we've decided that we're going to have a rhythm of doing it every Sunday when we gather. There are other places and houses of worship where they don't do it every week. That's okay. That doesn't make us better than them. They just have a different habit of when they do it. Go ahead and get your communion all opened up. And if you would, just bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to begin in your thoughts right now to begin to imagine the wonderful awe and beauty of God as the creator and the designer of all things. One who spoke the world into existence, who brought life to our very beings and bodies. The one who wants to come and walk in the cool of the day with you. The one who sent his son to die and be a high priest make a sacrifice for you and for me so that we could have right relationship a non-hiding, non-shameful non-guilt-driven relationship but a life-giving relationship with Jesus Lord we come as we take these elements on our hand this bread that represents your body and this juice that represents your blood markers and sealants of the covenant that you made with us in humanity. You are Yahweh Elohim. You are Yeshua. You are Jehovah. And Lord, we thank you that we can have this relationship with you. So Lord, many of us are coming to the table today in deep need of grace. Maybe because we're aware of our weaknesses. Maybe it's because we've messed some things up. Maybe it's because we feel trapped and bound by sin and shame. But Lord, it's your power and what you did at the cross that truly sets us free. So today, God, we're asking for your grace in our lives. We want to proclaim that grace and that forgiveness until you come again. That night when Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread, he broke it, he blessed it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Then he lifted a cup and he says, this cup is the cup of a new covenant. It represents my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of all sins. Every time you drink it, do it remembering me. Let's remember that together. Here in just a minute, when you dismiss, there'll be some hosts there to collect those empty cups, but may I pray a blessing over us today? 
Father, I pray that you would bless your people today. You would make your face shine on them and be gracious to them, Jesus. Would you lift your countenance towards us and give us your peace, your wholeness, your shalom. May we experience your delight as you draw us towards you this week. May we not run from you, but run to you, our Father, our God, our Creator, our Designer. May we be remembering this week that we are radically loved by you. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you're if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.